Next up on Dr. Bruce is a wonderful follow-up to our previous podcast, Raising the Ruby Keystone, on how one may hold the visionary state. For this, we now turn to a new voice in the levity zone, introducing Dr. R.P. Kaushik, a doctor from India who in 1973 began to tour the world introducing his fundamentally simple and fresh concepts on how to hold a visionary state. He showed how to open the way to an energy that underlies all life in the cosmos. Dr. Kaushik has come into my life at an important time as I seek to work with profound insights about the gears that drive me, mind, ego, heart, emotion, vision, all becoming visible, as Dr. Kaushik says, as the observer separates from the observed. I was saying starting with something intellectual, and that means starting with something thought of, you have a newborn babe, the babe thinks of nothing. Yes. Why shouldn't the process be from the core of that babe towards the outer world? Because the, because the babe has grown, the babe has grown into the adult world through the outgrowth of the external. The babe has acquired so much, accumulated so much of the external. And now you have to shed away the external to come to the original essence of the babe. So once you accumulate the external world, the external world had to fall away, whether it falls away in one stroke or it falls away in 20 or 40 years. That's up to you, but you have accumulated it. So all of us, if we could be the babe, there is no need for any process. We have lost that innocence of the baby. We are no longer that child. We have only memory of the child. So deep down in the center somewhere the baby may be there, but it's not on the surface. And why baby has become the adult? Because of the outgrowth and the accumulation of the external, the imposition of the world from outside. And therefore the process has now to be reversed, that the external has to drop away. And last thing to develop was your intellect. Your body started developing, then your emotions were developing from the very beginning, and last thing to develop was your intellect. So then in the reverse process, from the intellect to the emotion and then to the body. So it's returning home on the same road through which you came. So most of us are subjected to this process, but we are, we delay it, we get frightened. We, or we find some escapes or excuses. Any other question? Many uh, scriptures uh, speak of the beginning of the wor world as coming from the utterance of the, a word, a logos, or uh, some other form of, of word. So the Upanishads speak of the utterance of, of a word which created the, the universe. What does this mean? On our levels, we can see very easily with this word we are creating our world. Then uh, why must we be silent and uh, not? Use words. Yes, but the word that we are using is the word of the intellect. So the word which we are using is the most gross external word, which is coming from the intellect. The word that we are using is not coming from intelligence. It is not coming from the depth. 
it's repetition of thought, perpetuation of thought. When we say, let's make a spiritual brotherhood, this spiritual brotherhood is an idea. It'll never grow. It'll never happen. I think this colony of Warsaw, this city was founded on the idea of a spiritual colony. I don't think there is much more spiritual about it than any other town in this country. It's just like any other town, like any other city. But it started with an idea and that idea is nowhere in operation. <laughs> Why? Because it was an idea, it was not coming from the spirit, it was an idea, somebody's idea or few people's ideas. And the ideas get interpreted and then the different interpretations come up, what spirituality is, and that fragmentation is brought about through the interpretation. In India, in south of India, they started a colony known as Auroville, just like Woodstock, which was going to be the center of an international new awareness, a new consciousness. And now that town is running into difficulties because it was an idea. But when we talk of Logos or we talk of the original word coming from God, then first of all let us be one in spirit and let spirit talk to us, speak to us. Then all of us move with the same spirit, with the same understanding, then you can create a new colony, a new world. But not the intellect speaking, not my intellect speaking to your intellect. Not through persuasion, not through propaganda, pressure, coercion, inducement, but through intelligence which speaks in silence. When I have no motive and you have no motive. So long as I have a motive and you have a motive, the motive is thought, the motive is the intellect or emotions. They won't let truth happen. So the, the spiritual universe can only be created through the Logos, through the world which is uttered by coming from the mouth of God, that means coming from spirit intelligence. Let's discover that Logos first. That's the whole question. It's creating all the time. If you ever contact it, you will find a new world is being created through the Logos. You have to experience it to really believe it or to see it, not somebody else can tell you. When you contact this energy, you know that it is there, that, that force of vitality is, is there. And it, it can create, it creates, it can create anything. It can do healing, it can bring about transformation of consciousness, it can heal the spirit, it can heal the body. And that's how communication takes place from one person to another, where there is receptivity. And only in that spirit you can communicate and create something beautiful. Not through an idea, not through an intellect, not through an imposition of one intellect over another. It will not work. There will be only resentment. And then there will be violence because that sort of trying to change someone else through persuasion, through inducement is violence. What is that word? The Logos. That <coughs> word is the vibration, the vibrating <coughs> energy which is creative. That vibration is Logos. And the whole energy moves in vibration. Vibration is the energy. And it's a scientific fact that that energy condenses into matter. 
So once you come to that, you can start creating things. Put your energy into it and creation will begin. And then you can create a beautiful world with that. But not through intellect, not through propaganda, not through preaching, <laughs> not through persuasion. Silence becomes necessary because only in silence you can contact the logos. That's, the, that's called thunder of silence. The silence which is not dead silence, but silence which is vibrant. The silence is so vibrant, some people go crazy in that silence. If you ever go to a mountain top or to wilderness where there is no traffic, when there is no outer noise, or you go in, in some underground cellar, then you come upon this vibration of silence, the sound of silence, and many people cannot put up with it. It's almost shattering. So only in that silence you can listen to the Logos, can, the Logos can manifest. It's a great force, great vibration, great energy. And is destructive of the ego. Once you contact that, you can't can carry on with your egoistic activities. So whatever is written in the Upanishads or the Bible, that is true, there is nothing uh, doubtful about it. But we have to discover the art, how to bring Logos into our lives. That few people know. And people who are even talking and preaching about that, they are only talking and preaching about it, they are not bringing it about in actual life, in actualization. Because as my friend said the other moment that we criticize the people and we criticize when you talk of this Logos and you talk of these words but when the Guru dies and the disciples go to the court in litigation to decide the right of succession and then I say the Logos was neither with the Guru nor with the disciples. Logos should change your life, then you don't go to the court for litigation, don't go for these certificates of succession through a court. I'm not criticizing anyone, but I'm saying people who talk of that thing, but it's not manifesting. So can we do that if we really bring it about? And if in our lives it happens, we don't go to the court. Difficulties may arise, differences may arise. Can we see that in our lives we don't repeat the same mistake what have happened before? Not a criticism of those people, but a lesson for all of us. Because when it comes to our turn, we do the same thing what others have done, no better. I don't think the culture of stress permits that. It's like leaving a therapy session. You feel wonderful for an hour or two until the culture grabs a hold of you. No, but then you see you have to go and live it in your life. You have to bring it in your life. You have one hour here, if this spirit, this understanding cannot be carried into your home, into your profession, into your work, then it becomes a therapy session. So it depends from what attitude you come and meet. If you want it to be therapy session, it's a therapy session. Then you have to come again and again to the therapy session. Each time you are a little better. But fundamentally no change. No, that's no answer, I agree. But I say that anything relative to what you've just been talking about for the past few minutes is not permitted to exist in a culture of stress. You want it to exist, the culture doesn't permit No, 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 I won't agree with that. Because Social influences have always tried to undermine freedom. 
individual exploration. Always, throughout the ages, throughout the history. And some individuals express that vitality where they defied the culture. Defied not in the sense of a protest or an arrogance or, or starting a counterculture. Just not submitting to it. Outwardly they may submit, not inwardly. Inwardly you don't conform. So outwardly you may remain in that culture. Outwardly you may look like anybody else. But inwardly in your life you renounce it. If you can do that, you are, you've gone out of the culture. And yet you are living in that world, you are living in that culture. You are not creating any nuisance for your neighbors. You are not wearing different robes or different clothes. You may not have a different name. You, have, you are speaking the same language. You are dressing in the same way. You are going to work in the same way. But inwardly you are different. So unless you bring about that inward change, you cannot resist this outward cultural pressure. Question is, if you see something wrong in the culture, can you say no to it? under all circumstances in your life, not in other people's lives. Let other people do it. Don't go and preach. Don't go and protest. Let anyone do what they are doing. But in your life, you don't do it. That's the beginning. But we succumb to that temptation, that pressure, to have that advantage, which everyone else is having. And when that pressure is accepted, then you are destroyed, then you are part of the culture. So that would need a certain austerity in life, maybe certain suffering in life. Most of us, we want to have a very cushy life, very easy, comfortable life. If we are after this comfortable life, let's forget this logos and truth or whatever. Then let's say it's a nice evening. So without that certain austerity or certain preparedness for facing suffering. Not that you invite it, but if it comes, you put up with it. You face it. You get don't get frightened. Then there is a possibility of going beyond the culture and changing the culture. Because every culture, every culture has in its center, in its core, a seed implanted by some visionary, some revolutionary, who saw some truth. So no culture could survive without that basic truth inside. And that person who implanted that seed, he was persecuted in his time. He was ridiculed in his time. He was not treated kindly. But few souls always in history came into being who implanted that seed. So, and if it could be done, 2,000 years ago, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago, when people would just kill you if you say that the earth is round, only for saying the earth is round, when you could be killed, you're not living in those ages. You could still say, today you can say the earth is flat and nobody will kill you. You can say it. So you have much more freedom today than you had 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. People could be persecuted, could be executed for small little thing which 
defied the notion of the existing social order at that time. You can at least question the social values. Provided you don't organize some activity against the social culture, they won't do anything to you. They won't kill you. But in those days, even if you spoke something, you, they will kill you. So I think we are living in be much better times now than 1000 or 2000 years ago. That you can speak freely. You can hold a meeting like this. You can question the values of the culture and nobody will say you can't speak. So the world somewhere outwardly has grown. Certain freedom has come. Now it is up to us individuals whether we can carry the seed further. And for that the only necessity is are we prepared to give up some comfort, some luxuries, some prizes, some rewards which culture gives us for conformity. So find out your needs. What are your needs? Make your needs minimum. Have your minimum of needs so that nobody can starve you. Nobody can blockade, have an economic blockade against you and kill you. In my life, I don't know from where this idea came, this idea of freedom. At a very early age, I, I would think about 14 or 15, when I stopped, almost decided not to eat certain costly foods, fruit and milk and things like that, which I thought costly, because if you get habituated to it later on and you must have that type of thing, then people might demand a price and for that price then you can't have your freedom. And I said, look, don't have such habits which could put a pressure on you. And I <coughs> said, all right, no more milk and fruit anymore. And for, um, I think, 30 years I didn't eat fruit or milk. So, please understand, if freedom is important to you, are you prepared to pay the price? If you want to find Logos, God or Truth, are you prepared to pay the price? If you are prepared to pay the price, God is there, Logos is there, freedom is there. And please be sure that really, if you really move and walk on the path of truth, you are never alone. And really you will never be harmed. You will be always under protection. But you'll have to discover it, not through my word, but inwardly, by experience, you'll have to discover this protection. And then you'll find that can, you can move and nothing will happen. Life will provide you. Life is a great protector. But it only protects when you have that integrity in life. Without that integrity, you're destroyed. So your austerity and integrity will, will protect you. That's your protection. That's God. That's Logos. So I, I think uh, uh, when I blame the culture or when I blame the world outside, I am only denying my own responsibility. And therefore, it's important to face it. Face my own search for pleasure, comfort. There's a famous poem in uh, English by... Uh American lady, Amy Lowell, called Patterns, which I think may be about culture, which is patterns. And the last line is, uh, my lover has been killed in a pattern 
called a war, Christ, what are patterns for? I couldn't understand. Well, the question is, uh, why these patterns in uh, the condition of mankind, these oppressive patterns or cultures? She says, Christ, what are patterns for? Why this oppressive culture? Yes. You want to know why these patterns are there? Yes. Oh, it's very obvious and simple. It secures our comforts. Those patterns give you security and they ensure you your comforts. And if you conform to those patterns, you will have your comfort secured. And we all want comfort. And when we all want comfort, we create a pattern which might ensure, in theory, comfort to everyone. But in fact, only to the most powerful. But the people who are not so powerful, they hope one day to become more powerful, to grow and grow. Ultimately, when they reach at the top, they will also get it. So it's sort of a carrot being put before them who don't have it, so that they can look out to the carrot and keep on towing the line. And those people at the top, they're enjoying anyway. So that's how these patterns are created, how these cultures are created. All the world over, that is uh, history of mankind. Why we create a pattern? Here, we can start a pattern here. Any house, why do you have a pattern in your own house? Papa and Mama, they have a pattern for the children. Why? If the child conforms to your ways, you give him a lot of money, inheritance goes to him. If he does not conform to your ways, you disinherit him. You ask him to detour your line. Every parent does it. And the parents' parents also did the same. Everybody did it. You won't like to give money or inheritance to a son who doesn't live your way, who doesn't work your way. So the pattern comes to ensure that money that accumulation to go the way in which you have lived so that the pattern can be perpetuated. If somebody is walking out of the pattern, you disinherit him. Is it clear? So we are the creators of patterns. You and I are the creators of patterns. Not someone sitting there in some government offices. We are the creators of the pattern. All of us collectively and individually. It has gone so deep in the psyche now, we don't question it. And we don't call it patterns anymore. We call it order, we call it love, affection, consideration, morality. We call it, give it many names. But under all those names, we impose those patterns. This has been another episode from the Levity Zone with Dr. Bruce. And now, Dr. Kaushik. The doctor, as he is known to his appreciators, died back in 1981. As you can hear and sense, his words and message may need to be heard by the world again. So a dedicated team has been working behind the scenes to bring the doctor back to life and to set him free in the zone and in the world. 
We have built and made available a large library of his talks from the 1970s at our Dr. Bruce and the Levity Zone archive at archive.org. All of these are made available under our Creative Commons non-commercial license for you to use in your projects, as are all episodes of Dr. Bruce. Check our site at www.drbruce.org for links and resources about Dr. Kaushik and others in the growing community hanging out in the levity zone. Don't forget to send us your voices, your music, your art, and writings so that we may add you to the friendly, growing community.